We shall fight with growing confidence and growing strength in the air. We shall fight on the beaches. We shall fight on the landing grounds. We shall fight in the fields and in the streets. We shall never surrender until in God's good time, the new world with all its power and might steps forth to the rescue and the liberation of people. On today's show, I'm going to do something that I promised last week. We're going to do this episode, one show on the topic of marriage, on the topic of weddings, and why they matter, and why they must be done rightly, and why a wedding is not about two people. It's not about the man and the woman. It's about something much more important. And if we don't get this one right, our culture is lost. I'm Dr. Everett Piper, and this is The Rebellion. Welcome to today's show. Welcome to The Rebellion. I mentioned last week, while I was going on a riff about a lot of the news that was relevant at the time, and while I was featuring uh, several episodes on the topic of truth, that I thought maybe we should have a show about marriage, about weddings. And the reason I did that is because I had just returned from my son and daughter-in-law's wedding up in Indianapolis. I mentioned to you that I was proud of them, that it was a beautiful wedding. And it wasn't a wedding that was beautiful for just the traditional reasons. You know, a beautiful bride and the celebration of all that comes with two young people, finding each other, being deeply in love, and committing themselves to one another through the ceremony of marriage. No, this was a wedding, a wedding that was much bigger and better than that. And I know I'm biased, it's my kids, but I've been to a lot of weddings, and I've been to a lot of bad ones. Well, this is a good one. This was a good wedding, and I'm going to tell you why. So that's today's topic. The subject matter for today's show is marriage, and more specifically, the wedding ceremony. Why the wedding ceremony matters, what it symbolizes, and what it does in, in, in setting the context, in setting the foundation for everything that is to follow thereafter. Why the venue matters, why the music matters, why the message matters, why the wedding ceremony itself matters. So that's today's show. That's our topic. Marriage, and more specifically, weddings and the wedding ceremony. I'm Dr. Everett Piper, and this is The Rebellion. Remember that if you would like to become a subscribing member of The Rebellion, I obviously strongly encourage you to do so. This is the way we pay the light bill. This is what makes it worth taking the time to invest in these messages on a daily basis. Again, I don't do this just to hear myself talk. I do it because I want to try to bring some information to the table that I think might be helpful to you as you engage in the market square of ideas, as you go out into culture and fight the good fight. I'm trying to give you a couple extra arrows to put in your quiver so that you can be fully equipped to take on the battle on a daily basis. Not in an angry way, not in a vindictive way, 
but in a way that's effective for the message that's bigger than you and bigger than me. That's the reason I do this. So if you would like to join the rebellion by becoming a subscribing member, please consider doing so by going to patreon.com backslash D-R-E-V-E-R-E-T-T-P-I-P-E-R. That's patreon.com backslash Dr. Everett Piper. Now, if you do so by subscribing at the level of $20 or more per month, I will send you a free copy, an autograph copy, of one of my first books, the book that's titled Why I'm a Liberal and Other Conservative Ideas, a book where I was taking a, a poke at the progressive establishment in arguing that they're the liberals, when really they're not. They're not classically liberal because they don't believe in liberty. They don't believe in freedom. It's the conservative who's more classically liberal, if you will, who actually fights for liberty and freedom because we understand that it is our highest good, or at least a lot higher than personal safety. Doesn't the COVID pandemic bring the reality of this to the forefront? It isn't the liberals, quote-unquote, that are fighting for freedom right now, fighting for liberty, it's the conservatives. That's the point of my book, Why I'm a Liberal and Other Conservative Ideas. I'll send you a free copy of that autographed if you subscribe to The Rebellion at $20 or more per month. Again, I'm Dr. Everett Piper. This is The Rebellion, and I will be right back in a couple minutes. Welcome back to The Rebellion. I want to start out the rest of the show by having you listen to an old hymn, Now, if you've been in church ever in your life, back in the days where you actually sang hymns rather than praise and worship choruses, this should at least sound familiar to you. I don't know how much of it I'm going to play, but enough for you to get the feeling of it. Listen closely. I want you to listen not only to the music, but to the lyrics. Okay, that's just the first stanza of a classic hymn that was written back in the 1860s. It was written by a man who was responding to some burgeoning apostasy within the church. The Church of England had some leaders that were starting to write about the heirs in the Bible. They were condemning some of the old stories as being inhumane. They were actually even arguing that Jesus got it wrong. I'm not kidding you here. Some of the Anglican leaders were arguing that Jesus got it wrong and that he was taught the wrong things about Moses's messages. Well, in response to that, there were a series of hymns, was a series of hymns, written uh, that tried to pull the church, the congregation, back to the orthodoxy of the creeds. And this is one of those hymns. It's titled, The Church's One Foundation. I assume you've heard it before. Let me refresh your memory on the lyrics. 
This was the first stanza, and this is what it said. The church's one foundation is Jesus Christ, her Lord. Notice that the church is referred to in the feminine. We are called a she. The church, church's pronoun is female. The church's one foundation is Jesus Christ, her Lord. She is his new creation by water and the word. From heaven he came and sought her to be his holy bride, and with his own blood he bought her, and for her life he died. This, this hymn goes on and says this, and I want you to listen to these lyrics. It's very important because it has a lot to do with my message today, why marriage is important. It, it says, it says that he came and sought her, us, his church, to be his holy bride. And with his own blood, his own life, he bought her. And for her life, the life of the church, you and me, his bride, he died. This is the beauty of the wedding ceremony because it, it gives us a glimpse into this eternal mystery of our relationship with Christ. It, we are told over and over in Scripture that we are the bride of Christ. Do you remember that? It's important. We can't just set that aside and pretend that it doesn't matter. We can't just forget the deep, historic, theological, biblical, ontological reasons for having a wedding in the first place. It's not just a party to celebrate a contractual agreement between two consenting parties. No, the wedding is a reflection of something. There's a reason that the groom comes strong and stalwart and awaits the presentation of his bride who is dressed in white. The colors of the costume, if you will, matter because they represent something. Strength and clarity, distinction, boldness, fidelity, courage, conviction on the part of the groom as he waits for the presentation of his bride dressed in white, purity, set apart, sanctified for him and him alone. These things mean something. Uh, I'm going to offend a couple of you right now by suggesting that it means something that you have this ceremony in a church because a church is a reflection of theology, of the importance of looking outward rather than standing in a closed box just looking at yourself. Churches historically were, were, were constructed architecturally to reflect the beauty of God's illumination. That's why you have stained glass windows. That's why you had a lot of glass. That's why your eye was lifted upward and outward to see the revelation of God himself coming in upon you rather than going into a nightclub that has no windows, a closed box where you focus on what? Yourselves. There's a reason to have a wedding in a church rather than in a warehouse. I know I probably ticked a couple of you off there, but it matters. These things matter. We're told over and over again in Scripture that we are the bride of Christ. Ephesians, the book of Ephesians, the letter from the Apostle Paul, St. Paul, to the church of Ephesus says this, Husbands, Love your wives as Christ loved the church. Do you get that? That's there for a reason. He goes on to say this, and gave himself up for her. Christ gave himself up for her, the church. 
Husbands, you're supposed to be doing the same thing. That's the reason for marriage. That's the reason for the wedding ceremony. I'm going to go back and read that again. Husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her that he might sanctify her, set her apart, having cleansed her by the washing of water with the word so that he might present the church to himself in splendor without spot or wrinkle or any such thing that she might be holy without blemish. That's what the Apostle Paul says of the relationship between husbands and wives. This union This union of a man and a woman, the two becoming one flesh, a husband and a wife, is a reflection, it's a glimpse into the mystery of Christ and his church. St. John, the Apostle John, refers to this in Revelation, the 19th chapter. He says this, Let us rejoice and exalt and give him the glory, for the marriage of the Lamb has come and his bride has made herself ready. So again, we're we're told that our relationship with Christ, the Lamb, the Lamb of God, is a relationship between a groom and his bride. Back to the Apostle Paul in his letter to the Corinthians, the second one, 2 Corinthians chapter 11. He says this, For I feel a divine jealousy for you, since I betrothed you to one husband to present you as a pure virgin to Christ. This this betrothal of the church, of the believer, of Christians to Christ, and that's even got significance. We take his name. We take his name for a reason, people. In fact, we take his name because we want to be identified with him as our groom, This movement in contemporary times for there to be egalitarian marriages rather than complementarian marriages, that it's 50-50. That's a ruse. That's a lie. Nothing is 50-50. I was a leader for my entire career in the academy, and I can tell you right now that no organization succeeds if you try to live under the lie of everything being 50-50. At the end of the day, somebody has to make the call, somebody has to make a decision, somebody has to lead. No country, no company, no culture, no community, nothing, no marriage, nothing ever succeeds on this lie, this assumption that you can make all decisions 50-50. At the end of the day, there's going to be disagreement. There's going to be conflict. There's going to be the need for somebody to make the call and say, here we stand. We can do no other. This is the direction we're going to go. This is our mission. This is our cause. Follow me. And in the marriage relationship, the Bible is clear this leadership responsibility falls upon the shoulders of the husband, of the man. Oh, that's, that's antiquated thinking. Well, antiquated though it may be, it's been around for a few years because it's true. It's true. And the reason you see so much divorce and so much dysfunction within community, within culture, within the church, within our country, 
and within our own homes is this assumption that everything's going to be 50-50. Guess what? In my house, my kids didn't have a 50-50 trump card, if you will, to play on the decisions that we were going to make. And no husband should wield his authority in an authoritarian, arrogant fashion. Your bride takes your name for a reason, and that is because she trusts you to lead in the same manner, the same sacrificial, selfless way that Christ led the church and continues to lead the church. Christ gave his life for you. Therefore, you give your life to your bride. I said it's important that the bride takes the name This movement of not taking the name, of retaining your old names in marriage and having a different different last name. This is not a positive thing in our culture, people. Again, Christ stands watch over his bride and promises to protect her from the very gates of hell. That's the image we have of the bride being protected by the bridegroom. Christ is the groom. He stands watch over his bride and promises us, promises her that the very gates of hell will not prevail against her. Stop and think about that image. He's standing there, sword in hand, strong and confident. He knows that the gates of hell will make an attack upon him and his bride, but he will not let that evil prevail. He will stand there and defend her as a leader should, sacrificing himself for her. It's not a time of 50-50 decisions, people. It's a time where the bride takes confidence in the groom. The bride takes the groom's name and, like I said, stands confident and secure in his arms, fearing nothing. Stop and think about that image, that wedding photo, if you will. That image of the bride standing confident in the arms of the groom. She fears nothing. She knows that no one, no one is going to pluck her from his hands because she's been promised. She's been promised. No one can attack you or take you from me. That's why Christ tells us no one can pluck us from his hands. Those of us who are born again are the bride of Christ. And If you've got this image in your head of the bride and the groom, the groom standing confident and resolute, and the bride standing equally confident in his arms, secure, knowing that the gates of hell will not prevail against her, nor can anyone pluck her from his hands. This is the image of a beautiful wedding. A beautiful bride who takes the name of the groom. A godly marriage is a glimpse into this mystery. It's a mystery of the bride of Christ, of the marriage of the Lamb. That's the nature of weddings. That's why it makes a difference. Let me say this again. This is why marriage matters, and this is why weddings matter. In summary, it's not about two people. When you go to a wedding and you get the feeling that it's all about the two people. In fact, I remember when Marcy and I got married years ago that one person in my family 
came forward and said, just remember, enjoy this time. It's about you guys. Don't let other people spoil it. And, and that advice was well-intended. And I get the reason for the advice because planning a wedding is a time of stress and conflict and uh, other people try to impose their ideas upon the bride and the groom. Um, I get the reason for that advice that we received, but I disagree. The wedding isn't about two people. It's about honoring Christ. It's about the symbolism of the wedding, the marriage between Christ and his bride. It's not about two people. It isn't 50-50 again. It isn't equality or egalitarianism or equity. No, those are all selfish terms because they say, I deserve mine. I deserve mine. You've got to give me my portion. No, that's not the recipe for a successful marriage or a successful wedding. It isn't about two. It's about one. That's why we are told in Scripture that the two shall become one. No, the two won't remain separate with different names and different agendas. No, it's not two different people any longer. It's one. That's why you take one name. That's why in Christianity you take the name of Christ. That's why you're called a Christian. You don't hold on to your old identity. The old shall die. Behold, the new has come. You're a new creation in Christ. You're, you're transformed. You're, you're born again. You, you forget about the way that you were born before. You weren't born that way. It doesn't matter any longer how you were born. You're born again. You're something new. The two will become one. All of this imagery of salvation, this holy imagery of the marriage of the Lamb, this holy imagery of the bride of Christ, all of this is a reflection of the same thing, that you die to self, that you take the name of Christ, and you become one with him. Again, that's the point of a wedding. Again, it isn't about equity. It isn't about equality. It's about complementarianism, recognizing the authority structure that God has set up for the family. And that husbands should lead. They should act like men. They should stop being weak-kneed. They should stop acting feminine. They should stop buying the lie of toxic masculinity. Masculinity is not toxic. It's the way you were created. Now, temper it. Temper it in a godly fashion by giving yourself over in sacrifice as Christ gave himself up and died for the church. That's the way you temper your masculinity and take advantage of the way God created you. You don't hide it. You don't deny it. You don't try to become more feminine. You become more godly in your masculinity. Masculinity is good. It's not bad. So in summary, the wedding isn't about you. It's about something bigger than you. It's about honoring others. In the scriptures, you're told to honor your father and mother so that your days may go well and that you will live a long life. There's a principle there that you honor your father and mother. In this passage in Ephesians that I read where 
Paul describes the relationship between the husband and the wife, he goes on to talk about the entire family and the child's responsibility to honor those that have come before him. That applies to all of life, not just when you're younger people. It applies to the way you treat your elders with respect by honoring them until the day they die. And you expect that of those that are following you until the day you die. A wedding isn't about yourself. It's about honoring others. And most importantly, it's about honoring a savior rather than self. A wedding should not be secular because it's sacred. A wedding is about the body of Christ. A wedding is about unity in that body, not the selfishness of the female part of the body saying, I have no need of the male part of the body. The hand saying to the eye, I have no need of you. And frankly, a wedding isn't a party. It's a service. When I go to these weddings, and again, it's nothing but a party, especially the receptions afterwards. I've been to weddings where I'm just embarrassed. I'm embarrassed with the reception because it's not God-honoring at all. I mean, just five minutes ago, you were standing there in white gown and before a pastor who was uh, reciting some interesting and, and important words, if that's all you heard. And and all of a sudden, all of that, you took communion, you heard this homily that was focused on scripture and the unity of marriage, etc. And then you turn around and go to a reception that's debauched where people are drunk off their feet and they're, 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 they're doing things that they shouldn't do. That's not godly. That's not what a wedding should be about. It shouldn't be about a party. It should be about a service, a ceremony. And again, it's about honoring Christ and parents and family. It's a hint of the eternal. It isn't about the bride and the groom. It's about the church and Christ. And the reason this is all front and center for me. Is I, I've been to some bad weddings, like I said, but a couple weeks ago, I went to a good one. I went to a good one. Again, I'm biased, but this wedding was where my son stood there over his bride, and he promised to protect her. Well, again, from the very gates of hell, he stood there with a clenched jaw. He didn't have to say much. You could tell from his posture. You could tell that he was going to protect her for all eternity. And his bride stood there standing confident and secure in my son's arms. You could see the look on her face. She was afraid of nothing. She knew, she knew that no one was going to pluck her from his hands, that he had her and she could rest confident in that knowledge. Those of us who understand the symbolism, the symbolism. Those of us who are born again recognize that we are the bride of Christ. And may we be as beautiful as that picture I've just painted. Again, a godly marriage is a glimpse of this mystery. I'm Dr. Everett Piper, and this is The Rebellion.